Is there anything else? No, I think that's it. So let me just jump into what we have today in Philippians 2. Think about this for a second. Have you ever had what you'd actually say is a mentor, like a real mentor in your life? Because a lot of us haven't. A lot of us have. And you know, back in the day with apprenticeships and, and families that all kind of lived in the same area, like, like just kind of was more natural, right? You just kind of went in with what your father did or what your mother did or what your family did, and they just kind of showed you the ropes. And so when I say mentor, that can pop up in a lot of different ways, but we're so individualistic now that a lot of people don't have mentors. But some of you have probably had a mentor at your job. Like you came into your job, they'd done it for a while, and they kind of showed you the way to, to do it. Praise God for people like that. Right? When I came in, you know, I was a salesman for a really long time. There was a salesman that kind of took me under his wing and showed me how to do it. And man, I was way better because, because he did that. Some of you may have mentors um, for the kind of family that you would li- like to have and how to raise your kids. You saw the way someone else in a family raised their children and you really liked that and they kind of poured into you and they, they gave you advice. Um, some of us have had mentorship financially. I don't know how many, how many of you have had that, but like financially, they just kind of pointed you to the direction you could go, how to, how to basically I'll say this in a, build wealth in a very godly way, right? Not to go into debt, not to have all these other things, but to, to build wealth in a way that you can honor God. And then obviously for many of us, some of us had, have had a, a need to have spiritual mentors, and we'd call that discipleship, right? To, to be discipled in the faith. Someone who, who's actually left, off, less, left us an example to actually follow, have kind of shown us what it actually looks like to follow Christ faithfully, because I haven't said this in a long time, but I used to say all the time, it's easy to get saved. Following Christ is the hard part, right? God just extends you the gift of grace and says, salvation is yours. It's, it's learning how to walk in that daily, that we need mentors, that we need discipleship. What does that have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, if you haven't been with us, we're walking through the book of Philippians. And our passage today in Philippians 2 on the surface it just really seems like a part of the book that is, or part of the letter that's really just meant for the church in Philippi. It's not really meant for us to learn a lot from. It's, it's very personal. And in reality, the whole letter is that way. It's written by the Apostle Paul to an actual church in Philippi that he started. So it is very personal. But this one, in a, in a very real way, just feels like, feels very personal. We'll read it in a second. Something that, they, that just they needed to hear. And so it is that. But at the same time, it does leave us a really, really fantastic example And so if you haven't been here the last five, six, seven, eight weeks, we've been in chapter two for a long time. Um, We're going to transition in just, not not next week, but the next week into chapter three and four. And and really in that, like what what the passage we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks is kind of a bridge into chapter three and four to kind of the next point that Paul is going to make, that God's going to make in those chapters. And just so you know, we're going to move a lot faster through chapter three and four than we did through chapters one and two. Right? We're, we're, we're already about two-thirds our way through our series. We just spent a lot of time in chapter 2 because chapter 2 is the heart of this book. Like everything is breathed out of chapter 2. And we're going to really see that wrapped up really well with these last two passages. And because what God's been trying to show us through this, this chapter in particular is that through Christ's example and, and through the fact that Jesus Christ is living and working through us through the Holy Spirit, that we truly can live lives that reflect who Jesus Christ is. And what chapter two talked about is the humility of Jesus Christ. That Jesus counted others' interests at some points as more important than himself. He counted others as more important than himself. He went and died on the cross, what we just celebrated in communion, because he had all the glory, all the power, all the majesty, but he laid it all aside so he could die for you and he could die for me so that we might be more in him. That's what humility really looks like. That's why we called this series Divine Humility. 
Because God humbled himself for you and for me. And so really the rest of chapter 2 was talking about how we can live in that truth and how we can reflect that truth. So much so that if we love this way and we count others' interests as more important than our interests, not only is that going to be good for our church as we build each other up in love, but that example of love and humility will reflect out into the world where we can be lights among a twisted and dark generation. It'll point to people on the outside of our family will see the way that we love and be attracted to it because this is not how the world loves. This is not, the world doesn't value humility. The the world values individualistic selfishness. That's just where we are for most people. And so this is a thing to set us apart. So with all that being said, the last part of chapter two, again, is this bridge into chapter three and four. And what we're going to see in this bridge is two really good examples of how this kind of humility and service to the Lord to be a light in the world plays out in a really, in a really practical ways. So our first example that we're going to really get to look at today is Timothy. And then next week, we're going to look at the example that Epaphroditus left, right? Um, and so... We'll jump into um, the, the really good example of Timothy today. And Timothy leads us an example of, of just deep humility, of counting others as more significant than himself, and what God can accomplish through that. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to read our whole passage for today, and then we'll come back to verse 19 and spend some time with it and, and do what we normally do and kind of walk through it verse by verse. So if you've got your Bibles open, or if you haven't, go, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to start today in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 24. Philippians 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Will come also. So that's kind of, um, well, I mean, that's our passage for today. And the reality is that's, that's not real confusing, is it? It's a pretty straightforward passage. Like a lot of times I'm breaking down, trying to help us all understand the, the depth of it, the concept of it. It's in, in the end, it's a pretty straightforward passage. But if we take a little bit of time to look at a few of the words and look what it's pointing to, you'll see there's a little bit more depth to it than you might think on a first reading. So we're going to do that today. And again, we're not going to spend a ton of time doing this because I don't want to create more out of this passage than it is. It's pretty straightforward, but it can be a, a big encouragement to us today. So let's go a little bit slower this time. Let's, let's read verse 19 one more time. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For those of you that haven't been with us, again, this is the Apostle Paul writing this. He's writing this from jail in Rome to a church that he started in the city of Philippi, a very Greek, very Roman city. This church that has been going through quite a bit lately, so he's writing this letter to encourage them, to exhort them, to to tell them that he is thinking of them and praying for them. And so right here, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. And so this, this Greek word for, for hope is not the kind of hope that's like a blind hope or like wishful thinking. No, this, is, this, this, this hope in the Greek carries this con- connotation of confidence. 
It carries that this, a future event will happen. He has confidence in the Lord, meaning that Paul has prayed about this and he genuinely believes that this is what God's, God wants. This is God's will. Now, Paul's the first one to tell you he doesn't always know God's will. He's, he says later in or other parts in scripture that he intended to go to Spain, but God stopped him from going to Spain, right? But he thought God wanted him to go to Spain until God changed his direction, right? So Paul doesn't claim to know all of God's will, but through this prayer and what he says, I hope this is going to happen, and some words he uses later in the passage, he believes that this is what God wants, that very soon he's going to be able to send Timothy to them. Now, why? So that when Timothy comes, he will be able to send back word, word to Paul that the church is doing well and that that will bring cheer, that will bring joy to Paul. Now, that's an important phrase right there, and it gives us a clue to what Paul is talking about. Because if you remember, there was some division going on in this church. We're going to look at it in chapter 4 again, but there was two women, it looks like two women leaders, who were having a disagreement in the church, and it was causing friction throughout the rest of the church, right? That happens, right? It, was, it sounds like there was almost developing two teams, and Paul is telling them, you need to heal this. You need to heal us. You need to, work, you need to work through this. You need to reconcile all of this. And so Paul is talking about he wants to have joy. He wants to be cheered by news of them. And so what we've already seen is, is Paul has a tremendous amount of joy for this church. Right? That's something that we already know. That this, this church brings him a tremendous amount of joy for, for their service in the gospel in the past and for their service in the gospel right now. But Paul also is saying right now, I, I want to have in the future, it's almost like a future event, I want to have joy in you. I want to have, be cheered by news of you. It very much seems like he's talking about a future joy. So the reason that distinction is important is because of the context of chapter 2 is that Paul, he's, he's sending Timothy in there to help heal the divisions in the church. He's telling the leaders in the church, help this reconciliation, but he's also sending Timothy to encourage them, to exhort them, to share the gospel with them because they, tr they trust Timothy, but he wants Timothy to get there and Timothy to help them heal this division so he'll send back word that this has been healed and Paul can have absolute joy in what's happening. If you remember all the way back in, in chapter, the beginning of chapter two, in verse two, Paul says this. In chapter Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, complete my joy. That's a future event, right? I have joy in you. I've had joy in you. I have joy in you right now. You sent this care package to me. You love me. You're taking care of me. It brings me so much joy that I love you and you love me. But complete my joy, my future joy, by how? In, chapter, in verse 2, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. Remember, in the Greek, that means one soul. Being of the same soul and of one mind. This is what Paul is really talking about. This is the context. He wants to send them Timothy so that he'll hear back that they are now working together for the sake of Jesus with their eyes, their hearts, their minds focused on the same thing because Jesus is what unites us through anything, through everything. We can reconcile and we can be whole. So because of this, Paul, before he gets out of jail, Paul is believing he's going to be delivered from jail, but before that happens, he's going to send them Timothy. And this is an important job. One that Paul obviously can't do himself because he's in prison. So with some pretty bold statements in verses 20 through 22, Paul makes clear why, why he's sending Timothy in particular in his stead. So let's read verses 20 through 22 one more time in chapter 2. For I have, this is Paul talking, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Who he has served with me in the gospel. Now, before we can really get into the depths of what Paul is saying there about Timothy, I think it's helpful that we have a better understanding of who Timothy is. I think a lot of us through the series have got a grasp of, of Paul, but maybe not of Timothy. And I think that's important because Timothy is mentioned in the New Testament more than almost anyone other than Jesus and some of the disciples, apostles, not even all of them. He's mentioned more than most of the apostles in the New Testament. That's a big deal when someone's name gets used that much. In fact, Timothy is mentioned 24 times in the New Testament. Did you realize that? That's a lot. That's a lot, a lot. When some of the apostles get one mention, four mentions, they don't get mentioned a lot, but Timothy does. And so here's what we know about Timothy. Let me give you a little background. Timothy was a child of a Greek father, and a Jewish mother, which probably gave him a very unique perspective on the mission that he was doing. As, as Paul, being a Jew, he went, with, he went with Paul on his missionary journeys, but he understood the Jewish side, but he very much understood the Greek side as they went to Greek culture to try to share the gospel. So it was probably valuable for him. And apparently Timothy was called to serve the Lord at a very young age. It talks about in the Bible how when he was young, some believers in Jesus Christ laid hands on him, and the clear call on his life is that he was going to be set apart from the Lord. And so from that point on, we know that Timothy believed, and his whole family believed, that he was set apart for the Lord to do the work of God. And so Timothy, as a young man, started following Paul around. Paul became his mentor. Paul became the guy who discipled him, and he went around with Paul on many of his missionary journeys. We think from the second one on that he was with Paul And their whole goal, again, if you don't know this, was to take the gospel into Greek lands, meaning not Jerusalem, to everywhere else to take the gospel and plant churches. And during that time in the New Testament, Timothy is described as a disciple, as a fellow worker in the gospel, as a brother. He's described as a beloved child. As we saw in our passage, he's described as a son to Paul. And as this this letter, Philippians, started off with, In verse 1, it started with Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's significant too. Paul, in a lot of his letters, just says, Paul, a servant of Christ, or Paul, an apostle of Christ. But in particular here, he included Timothy, which is probably going to be relevant to this church. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. So Timothy was not only discipled and mentored by Paul, but he became, his as far as we can tell, his most trusted confidant, A brother in Christ, like a son, he became a pastor and an elder, and he became a fellow worker with Paul for the sake of the gospel. In no way, just some guy that followed him around, but in every way, led the churches and led God's people with Paul, beside Paul, as partners. So, Paul and Timothy are not the only examples of discipleship that um, we could look at. No, sorry. Paul and Timothy are not, are not only an amazing example of what it looks like um, to disciple and what it could look like, but it's a, it's a beautiful example of what chapter two has been talking about, right? It's counting others as more significant than yourselves and, and what it looks like to be the family of God. If you read this, this chapter, if you, if you hear how he talks about Timothy, Timothy and Paul were, were obviously united in heart and soul and mind. They were for the same purpose, doing the same things, with the same goal, preaching the same gospel. And I I just can't believe this all worked out with Paul and Timothy because their personalities just meshed really, really well. Paul doesn't talk about Timothy in that way. You know how he talks about Timothy? His faithfulness. 
He talks about Timothy as his faithfulness to the gospel. And Paul, you can tell in, in the New Testament, he gets really frustrated when people aren't faithful to the gospel, when they aren't serving the gospel, when they aren't making Christ the primary thing, when they're making everything else the primary thing. But Timothy obviously was one that, um, that was consistently pouring out for the sake of the gospel with Paul, beside Paul, because he was a trusted companion. It was not about their opinions. It wasn't about their just that the fact that they got along, but in their absolute dedication to seeing the name of Jesus Christ advance to the whole world. And they did that in spectacular ways. Paul's ultimate trust, as we said before, you can see it in verse 22. Why he really trusts Timothy in verse 22, it says, it says this, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. If you remember from Philippians 1, one of the things that brought Paul so much joy in the Philippian church was their partnership in the gospel. This is what mattered to Paul more than anything else. He loved him as a friend. I'm sure that he did. I'm, I'm sure they laughed together and they had good times together and they talked about other things. But what brings Paul joy, what unites Paul's heart to other people is their faithfulness to Christ and they're willing to serve Christ for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. And apparently Timothy's credentials um, were, were well proven not only with Paul but with this church. And that obviously came at a contrast with the rest of the world. We see in the passage that we just read, Paul says that, that um, they, let me, let me read it again so I can, we can say it clearly. This is the contrast of Timothy. Verse 21 says, for they all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't know exactly who they are, right? They seek their own interests and not that of Christ. But I think we get a pretty good educated guess through the rest of Philippians in chapter 1. It talks about these people that are preaching the gospel out of envy. In Philippians 1, verse 15, it says they, they preach the gospel in rivalry and envy, and envy, thinking that they're going to hurt Paul. I think that's what Paul is, is referring to here. We don't know for sure, but I think that's the they. The people that are preaching the gospel for selfishness, so people will think they're awesome, so people will start following them. And there's people doing this so actively, they were trying to hurt Paul and act like Paul was not, hey, look, Paul's in jail. Paul's not doing the right thing, but look at me. Now, they were preaching the gospel, and Paul says he's thankful that they were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it out of selfishness. I think, I think what Paul is saying here is you've seen this. This is what a lot of people are out there doing. They're preaching the gospel. Yes, they're talking about Jesus. Praise God for that. But they're doing it in selfishness. They're doing it out of rivalry. They're doing it out of envy. But you know Timothy's proven worth. That it seems that in almost every way, Timothy is the antithesis of, of this. That, that Timothy is setting aside his own interests for the sake of the church so that he might love them well. That's what it says in verse 22. You know Timothy's proven worth. Meaning that they obviously knew Timothy. I think that's why Timothy's name was included at the beginning of the letter. They knew Timothy. They knew his character. He had obviously been there before and he had loved them well as Paul had loved them well. So Paul sending Timothy to them was a really big deal. They obviously trusted Timothy. They loved Timothy and they knew that Timothy loved him because Timothy had the character of setting aside his own interests for the sake of the church. Because he's not doing something easy here. I mean, think about this. Right now, he's in Rome with Paul, hanging out in Rome because Paul's in jail so that he can be near Paul. And so Paul's saying, as soon as I know how it's going to go with me, right, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's willing to leave his companionship with Paul, leave a friendship to, for the long journey back to Philippi so that he can go back to Philippi and help this church heal, right? He's willingly walking into conflict in a church. Who wants to do that, right? A lot of you have seen conflict in church, 
And how would you like to, with the express purpose of like, I've got to walk in and take this head on to try to help this church heal. But that's what Timothy's going to do. He's going to leave his friends. He's going to leave everything to go to another place to help this church because he feels like that's where God wants him. This is Timothy's character. This is his proven worth. And that's probably why, again, he was included at the beginning of the letter so they would know that Timothy has been with Paul. Doesn't mean that Timothy necessarily helped Paul write the letter, but I just imagine, this is just conjecture, right? But I just imagine Paul and Timothy talked about what the Philippians needed to hear. They're talking about the gospel together and writing it down. Timothy could have scribed it for him, but in the end, they were together as this letter was written. Okay, so as I said, this passage is, is really very much written to this church with the things that they were dealing with and him telling them that they're sending him Timothy. But again, there's, there's things that we can learn from it and we can glean from it. And so, so far, we're going to cover two more, two more passages or two more verses, but in the passage so far, I think there's three things that we can take away from this. And as you know, I'm not usually, uh, here's your three points for today, but I am today. So here's, here's three things that are simple, but they're also profound that I think we can take away. One is that true discipleship, right? When we are really invested in discipleship and lifting each other up and building each other up in Christ, that that's an extremely powerful tool for the advancement of the gospel. Discipleship is an extremely powerful tool for the advancement of the gospel. Because not only did did Timothy obviously grow as a result of Paul's love and Paul's investment and all of their talks about Christ and pushing and encouraging each other, now Timothy is, is ready and trusted to go back to the church that Paul started. You know how big of a deal that is? Like Paul thinks of these, this family in the Philippian church as his children, as his family, as the purple. He, he loves them dearly and he's willing to send Timothy back to lead them. Like, listen, Timothy's a pastor. He's sending them back as a pastor to help lead this church into health. And because of their discipleship relationship, he can trust Timothy with his job. Discipleship multiplies. Discipleship helps us to do more than we could ever do alone. As we train each other, as we encourage each other, as we grow, we'll learn to be united heart, soul, and mind so that we might send each other out for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Man, discipleship is a powerful tool. And by the way, just so you know, this is not the only time that Paul did this with Timothy. He's getting ready to send him to Philippi, but he also at a different point sent him to Thessalonica. That's where we get the books 1 and 2 Thessalonians. He sent him to the Corinth, the church in Corinth, where we get the books First and Second Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, and he sent him to Ephesus. And, and Timothy, for a time, became the pastor at Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. And that church was a mess, like Corinth. Corinth and Ephesians, geez, and Galatians—they were all a mess, right? If the fact that our, that our church is sometimes a mess, well, welcome to the club. Timothy's being sent to all these places while Paul's in jail, so he can clean up the messes that are going on because we're a bunch of sinful people who need Jesus and good leaders. So pray for me, pray for me, because I got to lead a bunch of people like you, and that is daunting. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, it's daunting. It's always daunting to lead sinful people and for people to lead me because we need Jesus Christ because we need a savior. So. All that being said, discipleship is a powerful tool for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Second takeaway, um, as we said, not only in Paul himself, but Timothy is a fantastic display of the example that Christ left in, that God left us of Christ in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. If you remember, we said that was a hymn of the early church. And that talks about how Jesus came down out of heaven, left his glory behind so that he might come down and become a servant. He might become a slave of all humanity so that he might die on a cross and do for us what we could never have done for ourselves. Like that is the heart of this whole letter, the humility of Jesus Christ to do that. That's why we called it again, divine humility, this whole series. And Timothy is a beautiful display of this kind of humility in Jesus Christ. 
he willingly laid aside his own interest. He's willingly laying aside his own life so that he might use his gifts, his talents, everything that God has given him to help lift up the church, to help it be more healthy, and to advance the gospel. That's a beautiful thing. That's our second takeaway, that Timothy is a beautiful example of, of what we can do to, to help advance the gospel and show the humility of Jesus Christ. And our third takeaway from verse 20 through 22 is Paul and Timothy themselves. Listen, through their love of Christ and through their service together for the, sake, for the sake of the advancement of the gospel, they truly have become like family, haven't they? I mean, Paul says it. You're like a son to me. I, I'm like a father to you. Like Paul and Timothy are this beautiful example of the brotherhood and the sisterhood that we're meant to have in the church. Something that we talked about is if we really were connected in this way, we really were a family and a church. I know that we've been working towards that and we've been growing towards that. I think we're in a really healthy place of our investment in each other and our growing to each other and knowing each other and in life groups and discipleship relationships. Praise God that that's moving forward. But the more that we do that, the more serious we are about that, the more committed we are about that, the more beautiful our church, the more our church will beautifully display the gospel of Jesus Christ, the character of Jesus Christ, and what it really means to be one heart, one soul, one mind as a body of believers. If we were really connected like that and we were honest and we were open in discipleship and life groups and even on Sunday mornings, man, the, the fact of people slipping through the cracks and falling into sin and falling away from God, you know how much more rare that would be if we were truly investing in each other in the way that Paul and Timothy invested in each other? We, we would, for, for those of us that have a hard time trusting, it would be so much easier for us to tell people the things that we were going through because they knew that they loved us and that they were for us and they're not going to condemn us. They're not going to judge us any more than they're just going to try to point us to Jesus Christ so that we might find healing. This is the, the power of discipleship and this is the power of being united heart, soul, and mind and taking, the, taking discipleship and being the family of the church seriously. How many problems would we head off right away if all of us took this seriously? It would radically change things. So those are the three things I wanted us to take away in that passage. Discipleship is an extremely powerful tool in the advancement of the gospel. Second is that just looking at Paul's life too, but Timothy is a beautiful example of what was displayed in Christ's life in, in 5 through 11. And our third takeaway is, man, this kind of discipleship really leads us to being the family of God that we are meant to be. So with that established, let's quickly wrap up Paul's thoughts in our passage today in verses 23 through 24. And this won't take very long. He just kind of reiterates what he already said. Read in Philippians chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 with me one more time. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Will come also. You know, Paul already stated earlier in chapter one that he thinks he's going to be delivered from this. Now, the point he was making is either way, I'm going to be delivered from this. Either in heaven, I'll get to be with Jesus forever and praise God for that. I'm ready. But he's like, but what I feel like God is telling me is that I'm to remain so that I, I'm to remain for your joy in the faith. So Paul's already stated, I think I'm staying. I think I'm going to be delivered from this death penalty so that I might encourage you. So what he's basically saying here is until I know that for sure, until I can come for sure, I'm going to send Timothy. We're going to get word here shortly on what's going to happen to me. As soon as we get that, I'm sending Timothy ahead. And he's going to come encourage you. And he's going to come exhort you. And he's going to come be with you. And then I'm coming after that. But on my way there, I better hear good news. I better be cheered. I better have joy. Because he's basically calling them out. Reconcile this. So by the time I get there, we just get to celebrate in Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul is pointing them to right now. 
He's trying to get their attention that he's coming, but Timothy's coming first. So take these things seriously because of the love of Jesus Christ. It does really kind of show us just the almost radical trust that, that Paul has in Timothy and that they both have in the Lord, right? Knowing that these are things are happening. He's writing this letter to them saying these things are going to happen because he just trusts the Lord is going to be faithful and is going to deliver him one way or another. And that through that, Paul and Timothy are going to be able to encourage the saints and advance the gospel. So, with all that being said, as I said from the beginning, that's a pretty straightforward passage. It's not one of those that's very confusing. It, it speaks directly to the Philippian church at the time, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that we can take away. And we, can, we listed those already. But, but here's, I'm going to say this. This is the number one thing I want us to take away today after finish, finishing the whole passage, the main thing. And by the way, I want you to get in your life groups this week and get in your discipleship relationships this week, and you guys talk about the passage. And you guys talk about what, what God is intending and what he has said. You, you, you see what you get out of it, right? But here's the main thing I want us to get out of this, is that discipleship is of vital importance when it comes to the health of the church and the advancement of the gospel. I already kind of said those things, right? But that's kind of the summation. That discipleship is of vital importance. It's not just something that we should do as a church because it's a good thing. It's of vital importance when it comes to the health of a church and the advancement of the gospel. And Paul and Timothy were united in their faith. They were united in their passion for the people and for the, for the word of God and their commitment to the advancement of the gospel. And we should be too. Because again, through their relationship, they understood they could do far more together in, tra in Paul training Timothy and Timothy training others and Timothy and Paul training the churches than they ever could alone to make much of the name of Jesus Christ. So in the end, church, taking discipleship seriously isn't just something that we could do or maybe should do. It's just a really important and really effective way that God uses to not only grow us and to grow others, but then to send us out into the world to do the work of the kingdom. It's through discipleship and through that growth that we are going to shine like lights in a dark and twisted generation that Paul was talking about earlier. Who wants to follow a curmudgeon Christian? Who wants to follow or go to a church where everybody feels judgmental? Who wants to go to a church where you kind of go there and you sit and you hide and then you leave? I know a lot of us would actually like to do that, but what does that really do for your growth? That's checking a Christian box saying, I went to church and I got a little pick-me-up and I feel good, and by Wednesday you forgot what was said anyway, and so what does it really do any of us in the long run? No, discipleship is our pathway to real growth, to really understanding each other, to knowing where we can love, knowing where we need to show grace, knowing where we need to show mercy, knowing where we need to show forgiveness. And that's the place where we are going to grow and reflect the image of Jesus Christ in his love and then advance the gospel out of these walls. Discipleship leads to our health. It leads to empowerment. It leads to the advancement of the gospel into a dark world that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. So let's not let this example that God has left us, just, let's just not let it go this week. Let's talk about this in our life groups. Let's talk about this in our discipleship relationships, whether that's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two or one-on-three, and let's take the things of God seriously. Let's take them seriously for the sake of the glory of God. Let's take them seriously for the sake of the unity in God's family, the church, and let's take them seriously for the sake of the advancement of the gospel. Amen? And all my charismatic people said, amen. 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 Let's pray.